0: What is up Mets fans welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up podcast the official podcast of the New York Mets we just finished a series with the Chicago Cubs we're going to talk about it as we always do ended well at least at least we ended well it wasn't necessarily great the first few games I think we have some things to talk about a little bit but good end to the series as we go into our three game series with Colorado out in Denver should be a lot of fun should be a lot of offense out there. Plenty of things to talk about in Mets world. So let's go ahead and do it. Before we do, make sure you guys follow us on all our social media at MetsDup, M-E-T-S-D-U-P, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want the YouTube version of what you're listening to, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel. You'll be able to find it over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. Remember, you leave us a review, we shout you out at the end of the podcast. So please do that we do appreciate it and yes i'm taking the intros back we flew a little bit too close to the sun i think we like we're we're all about jinxes we're all about superstitions on this podcast and we tried but it seems like whenever we purposely do something that's when we get in trouble right james
1: yeah, definitely. Too many theatrics. The baseball gods caught up to us. They were aware the baseball gods were elsewhere. They were helping the Mets all last week. And then we we. it's probably on us to like hand up for the for the first couple games of the series. Mets did have a little bit of bad luck, especially in game two. So we apologize for that. But a series that started poorly at least ended well and ended on, a, on a, like a good a good footing to head to Denver with.
0: Yes, I mean, they swung the bats much better in game three than they did game one and two. But even then, like game one, right? That was against, or no, game two was Stroman. Game two was Stroman. We hit the ball hard. I felt like we hit the hard. ball hard in, in like most of these games. We just couldn't get a run against Stroman. He's a ground ball pitcher. I mean, we've seen the guy pitch before. He's, he's a professional pitcher. He's very good. Uh, it just, it sucks to, to get beat by that guy, especially because he loves talking a lot, a lot after the game. And to be fair, rightfully so, he, he did shove.
1: Yeah, this series did have like a, a little bit extra like stuff in it. The Mets and the Cubs are one of those traditional baseball rivalries, a rivalry from before our lifetime, and they used to be in the same division. And they at, going into the, what Thursday night's game, the Mets had also lost six in a row to the Chicago Cubs, dating back to last season. So it did feel like a little bit of a little like these teams are looking at each other in a, in a certain way, but yeah, the, fir- the first two games of the series are just so incredibly frustrating. It felt like the Mets got all of that out in one shot on Thursday night. Besides the fact that Tucker Barnhart was throwing forty five mile an hour chad and we were just we <laughs> were taking hacks at it and couldn't couldn't really really embarrass them. But Thursday night, every every guy got a hit, and really felt like a, a lot of what
0: didn't happen the first two games actually did happen in that one. No, hundred percent. I mean, do do we want to talk about the positives first? Do we want to just be be happy for the beginning here? I think we should go on. I'd rather end. Let's end positive, right? Okay, let's end positive. Yeah, yeah listen to 15 cool minutes and, negative cool and then end positive. Yeah, because it's, it's going to be, we're going to give you the information you want to hear, of course, but it's going to be a quick game one, game two. Game one, it was doomed. It was doomed as soon as Brandon Nimmo got that 100%. leadoff double and they didn't score him. We've said it before on this podcast, but like whenever this stuff is going too well and then all of a sudden like a little bit of adversity, a little bit of like a little bit of drama there with Brandon Nimmo not scoring, it, it felt dead in the water right then and there.
1: It just felt like a lot of momentum from the weekend actually carried over and you're like, OK, get this run in. Let's keep the good times rolling, get the lead, get the lead, can't stop. And then it did stop. and You're like, oh, man, crap. And yeah. that's just kind of is what happened. And then I do like the big thing in this game. I do want to talk about is Tyler McGill because it was another start where he labored. And like some of the balls that his starts where he's like gone to the fifth inning, like balls, have found gloves. It just didn't really happen. This one he was knocked out in the fourth after allowing six six and four earned runs. And he fell victim to the long ball. And I think both of those long balls like tell a bit of an interesting story about his outing and the way he was sequenced his pitches. First of all, say Suzuki, who we said was going to be a really good ball player, had a great series, good defense, yeah. good offense, this whole series, really good ball player just tell them threw go him a first first pitch fastball right down Broadway and he hit it really far and then Matt Mervis who is a lefty who had been a bit of an interesting prospect you've probably seen his name on Twitter if you follow any fancy baseball people real unheralded underrated guy came on the scene last year he has been really struggling so far but really really broke out a big way in this <laughs> game hit a home run a pitch that was a changeup that really was like on the black to he got he got his hands out for and put it to the you know that that power alley out there in left center and it was an interesting at bat to me in terms of why McGill struggled in this game, because he's a lefty and McGill's slider was working well in this game. He doesn't really ever throw it to lefties this whole game. He threw just four to them and he's nervous. Looking at his run values and his stats so far coming into the league, he's only really actually hit fastball. So this at bat, it seemed like because this was the second at bat of the game. Seems like McGill really was trying not to throw him a fastball. So he threw him a curveball first pitch, which is a pitch that we've talked about in the show. McGill's been trying to bring along, especially this year. It missed really badly. So he's like, all right, I don't want to throw him a fastball. I'm not gonna throw him a slider. I tried a curveball, didn't really work. So now all I have left is changeups. And he threw him one changeup, outside a little low, didn't get it. And then he threw him one more, elevated it a little bit, didn't even get any plate, and he just like got his hands out, like extended, and put it out. And that was kind of a <laughs> embodiment of just what like what Tyler McGill is lacking right now, that extra weapon.
0: Yeah, I feel like when a guy spits on a pitch like that too, especially a changeup that's kind of not one that you should double up on then. Like, let me, let me show him one now in the zone a little bit. And like you said, it was like, it was weirdly on the black, but it was up, and that's not really where you want to leave a changeup, especially for a guy like Matt Mervis, who is a big, strong dude. So, I mean, like, he extends his arms. He can crush that thing to left center field like he did. Yeah, McGill just didn't also really have the command, it felt like, either in this start. I, was, I, was, I don't remember who I was talking to. Maybe it was my dad. But I was saying how McGill was trying to paint, trying to hit the corners, trying to you know, pitch on the black but everything was missing. He wasn't like hitting his spots. It felt like everything was just a little off, missing in, missing out, not hitting the glove. I don't know necessarily what the reason is for that, um, but he just definitely wasn't sharp, which, you know, it's it sucks. It's unfortunate, but this is what's going to happen, especially with Tyler McGill, who's, I mean, relatively still doesn't have that many innings underneath his arm in in general in baseball. No, even especially coming off last year. But that first change up to Mervis actually he got a whiff on it. It was low. He buried it in the strike oh, okay.
1: zone and he swung through it. And then through a second one, he just it just hung up a little bit. And one thing we should hang our hats on for McGill in the start was the slide looked really good. The second start in a row, where like, it okay, did. this McGill slide looks good. He's getting more depth on it, which is something that he wasn't doing as much like that was like kind of the McGill from 2021 we've had a weird week where we're, we're recalling 2021 a lot I don't know why so it's just weird. We're, we're starting to get all these like Instagram and like Snapchat memories when we really started like kicking this podcast and threw out a tweet today about the Mets lineup in, in May <laughs> on May 25th 2021 you guys you guys are
0: complaining about lineups. Wait. here's here's a lineup Let's just go through that lineup real quick, just for everybody at home, so that they can understand uh, exactly what was happening. Because, I mean, the way you put it on Twitter, James, two years ago feels like a very long time. And weirdly, it's May 24th, up against the Colorado Rockies, who were playing, again, like relatively around that time. Playing third base, everybody's favorite, shout-out-boy Ernie, subtape, Jonathan VR. Okay, not crazy. Francisco Lindor hitting two. And then, now, now here's where we get absolutely nuts. James McCann hitting third, which that's that's pretty crazy. But you know what's even crazier? He was starting at first base. How about hitting fourth? Everybody's favorite utility player, Dominic Smith, playing left field. At catcher, hitting fifth, fifth Tomas Nito. Sixth, playing second base, Jose Peraza. Seventh, James is one of your original memes here. Cash Money Maven playing right field. Center field hitting eighth, Joneshui Fargus. and just just for you know some laughs. We had a pitcher hit. David Peterson was hitting ninth because that was still a thing in twenty twenty one. Yeah. Two years ago feels a long time. Uh I know Mets fans have had some some problems with the lineups recently and have been very, very vocal, it feels like on social media about it. Uh but it could be worse. It could be it could be this. It could be Joaneshwe Fargus and and James McCann hitting third. So at least we don't have that.
1: Yeah, and yeah. You know, now back to your reg- regularly scheduled programming. McGill did have five whiffs on ten swings with that slider Tuesday night, and no hard hit balls. The only pitch he didn't give up a hard hit ball with, and I just, I really can see a future for him, especially now seeing the adjustments Carrasco made Thursday night, which we'll talk about more when we get to that game where he could really lean on that pitch and maybe start mixing in that curveball more. Alex Isert, who's a friend of the program, a friend of mine, used to write for Pitcher List, lives in Brooklyn. He wrote a great piece on Fangraphs this week. You guys should check out about like adjustments that. He could see David Peterson and Tyler McGill making. He's really, really brilliant pitching mind. He wrote wrote his thesis in college about the concept of um of late movement on pitches and really the fact that it's just like how well pitchers can tunnel and it's, it was mind blowing stuff. Really, 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 really sharp kid. But yeah, that it was it was another one of those weird starts for McGill that kind of reminds me of the start last Friday for Carrasco, where like the, the results didn't really look that great, but there were legitimate things to build on. I think that is valuable for Tyler McGill at this juncture.
0: Yeah, we just, we got to take the small battles. Um, I mean, I th- I think we know that it's not like, like we saw him have that hot start to the year and then he kind of came back to earth. There's, it's the in-between, right? It's the in-between with Tyler and McGill. Like he's probably not going to be the best pitcher in baseball, like anything like that. But he's also like very much still a very good starter in this rotation. And we do need him to get right. I don't even know if we get right's the right word, but we do need him to be a little more consistent to help this team. And even even then the game didn't really truly get out of hand just yet. And the Mets had opportunities too to bring in some more runs. So like we're talking about all the, these positive and negatives, but like at the end of the day, like they just had to play a better game in this one at the, at, at the end of it.
1: For sure. And this is just one of those nights at Wrigley field also where the wind is blowing out. And that's just kind of part of the game. And we kind of felt that would peel oh, on so dude.
0: What <laughs> Gary and Keith were nonstop talking about the wind. It felt like every inning. I love I love Gary and Keith, but it was like any time a ball got hit in the air, it was something about the wind. And I was like, man, this is like nails on a chalkboard for me right now. Like, I know it's windy. We know it's Chicago. I don't need to hear it every day.
1: No, but I mean, it is important. You kind of saw the difference in all three of these games between wind out and wind in and how different it is. And we'll talk more about Pete because he, this is only the first of two really cool home runs he hit in this series. But I want to get to game too, because a former Met pitching this series, a former Met who clearly but no added importance on this game, Marcus Stroman. And he got, <laughs> he got two whiffs. Which is pretty good for Strowman. That's like not not he a did. bad number for him at all. And uh, we actually got on the board first in this game. This is one of the few one of the few games that we've had an early lead and actually lost the game because Francisco Alvarez hit a big two run home run early with the wind blowing in. Couldn't stop him. Couldn't stop him. He's, he's so good. He's, he's so incredibly good. good. He's every every single day like, he does another thing.
0: The way he swings the bat, he swings it with such ferocity. The dude does not get cheated at the plate. And what's crazy is he feels completely in control. Like, you see some guys take war hacks, and you're like, oh, that guy's going to strike out 250 times in a season. But then you see Francisco Alvarez take his war hacks, and you're like, oh, this guy's really good. And he like, he doesn't even swing and miss a lot. It's crazy what we're seeing with the growth of Francisco Alvarez just in the in the month that he's basically been the starting catcher. From what he was at when he first came up to where he's at now, I mean it's light or night and day, and he's been—I mean—he's just been so so good. He's been one of the better catchers in in the National League hitting wise this year. He's he's been one of the better hitters in all of
1: baseball over the last thirty days. His, his wRC plus over the last thirty days is over one eighty.
0: That's very good. That's very It's, it's good. incredibly good.
1: That, that's 80% better than league average because the league average for WRC plus is 100. So when you're 180, that's 80% better than league average. He, he had five home runs in 11 games. Like he's heading into, heading into play on Thursday. Like he is, he's so freakishly good. And he's so young. Like I, we say it every single episode. It really doesn't matter. But I'm just going to say it every single episode. We used to do the bring a minute and yeah, that we do the, the Alvarez one. half hour. Yeah. And then also just our, everyone's favorite stat here. He tied Joe Mauer for the most home runs by a catcher before turning 22 since 2000. And he has the whole rest of the season to hit more home runs. He doesn't turn twenty two until October or maybe November, one of those months. But he's he's just he's he's so freakishly good, and he's like he's at this point he's like one of the most feared hitters in the entire Mets lineup. And and there's been a weird rumor that's been circulating around the internet just about what
0: you want to hear something funny, really really funny about that stat. You say since two thousand,
1: yeah, he wasn't even born yet in two thousand. That's true. He wasn't born yet. That's kind of the best part about that stat. That's wow. pretty cool. Cr-
0: that's pretty crazy like there hasn't been one of these guys since the existence of francisco alvarez on the planet
1: (laughs) since he was born there hasn't been a catcher his age as good
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know hasn't existed
1: (laughs) no but yeah so then there's just been this rumor going around that and it it kind of got a little more legs because uh, tomas nita was activated before thursday's game gary sanchez was dfa would so thank you for thank you for your service gary sanchez we had a nice week with you it was fun (laughs) the memes will live forever but we'll see if he gets another job. but hope, hope he does. hope he stays in the league for a long time. But just the fact that there is still this like growing skepticism about like what Francisco Alvarez's role will be with Tomas Nido back and with Omar nervez still like kind of moving through a rehab assignment. it really it really feels like if this is a meritocracy, like there's almost just no way,
0: yeah. I mean, if if I were in charge, which I'm not, I mean, Francisco Alvarez isn't going anywhere, but we also know that's that's not the case with us. But I. There there just doesn't seem to be a world where you cannot keep this guy up. He is like what, like the third best hitter on this team. And that's not even like, I feel like hyperbole. He is really good guys. He's unbelievably good. I know you at home are also agreeing with us. I think that's why there's been a little bit of outcry and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of the media doing their thing where the Mets were playing well. They had to start, they had to stir something up. Right. I mean, of course, five wins in a row that doesn't get re that doesn't get clicks. That doesn't get views. We've we've heard from people inside the industry. Oh, you write something negative about the Mets. It does amazing. So you put a headline as a writer who's had a cold week because the Mets have been playing well, and you say, like, Francisco Alvarez, maybe a guy who can get sent down, everyone's freaking out, retweeting your articles, talking about it. You tip your cap for for doing their job, but also poppycock has to be.
1: Yeah, there, there there's a certain buster out there, and I'm using that as an adjective. A buster. It's a it's a common adjective that's used. And like people like like to spread. Yeah, no, it's an, I'm using the adjective, he's a buster, and it just happens. It happens. It could be any number of journalists out there, and there were a few, so I'm not even going to single out one, but it's just the case. He's he's incredibly good, and I really hope nothing happens to him. But I also, now from this game, I want to talk about Kodai Sanga because he was coming off his best start of the year for the Rays. I put out a big thread about him earlier this week, right before when I, we thought he was going to start on Tuesday. Did great, really happy with it. Did a lot of good research because a lot of people told me they learned a lot about baseball savant from the thread they made. A lot of different new parts of the illustrator, oh, there, yeah. which is always cool that people be like, "Yeah, a new thing." I don't know. now I can do. It's cool." But it was just another one of those starts for him, which seems to be happening to him more often than not on the road, which is something that's like one of those things that doesn't really matter,
0: but also kind of does matter. What I'll give you a little something that Gary brought up, and I, I think it was a really good point, was that I think like I'm just counting right now. I think about more than half of the stadiums in Japan in the MPB are domed inside. So it's climate controlled. This is mm. one of the first, one of the few times cold. in Kodai yeah. Senga's probably entire career that he has pitched in cold, windy weather like this. I'm not making excuses, but I I, I, I think it's something that's interesting just to note that this is a completely different environment than the guy is comfortable to pitching in. Something that he's he's going to learn to have to do because there's not a lot of dome stadiums in Major League Baseball. And you <laughs> if you're pitching in the playoffs, it's going to be cold and outside most of the time. So I'm glad if that's the issue, we're getting getting it out here now. But yeah, there's a, on the road, specifically, he seems to be a little bit less sharp. Yeah, and just
1: this is one of the, another one of the starts that we saw seen a lot so far from Kodai this year, where there were long counts, there were battles. It was like getting a first-pitch strike, but then struggling to stay ahead, not getting the whiffs. Something awful happened in this game as well. Seiya Suzuki, a countryman of Kodai Sanga, got the first hard-hit ball off the ghost fork this year. We made it all the way to May 24th. We got through, I think, eight starts for Kodai Sanger, nine starts. And the first time the pitch was hit above 95 miles an hour, and it hit for a double. And I saw that, I was like, "Ah, oh, one of the best stats in baseball has finally gone by the wayside. But he kind of went back this start to how he was sequencing the starts before the Tampa Bay start. And we lauded him for the fact that he was using more cutters and more sweepers early in the count and using that fastball to sneak up on people. But you kind of can't really just use a fastball, to sneak up on people that often. Like once teams see that like this is something that he did like all right be ready for the fastball two strikes i get that so you got to kind of try to keep everyone off balance but something interesting it seemed like the cubs did to kind of like adjust back to kodai high swing rate against kodai any start this year and by far a much higher zone swing rate so it seemed like again they were really good at picking up these pitches what was coming next and were really taking hacks at ones that were in there and a lot of oka outside a lot of chase contact so even when they were chasing they were getting the bat in the ball a lot and a big part of that was they had 24 foul balls in this game and that is a part of of contact stat that fan keeps usually his like most of his starts to sat like in the mid to low 40s this was 65 percent of balls that were outside the strike zone they made contact with it's a ridiculous number and a lot of that comes from 24 foul balls we still got through five innings three runs got six strikeouts and 13 whiffs the five walks were too many but he didn't really allow many of them to come around to score like it was enough to win a game but it was just very infuriating from the hitting side in this game where we had no whiffs. We had no strikeouts and we're just hitting super sharp ground balls everywhere. And there are always
0: fielders right there. To take one from your tweet, bad day to be a worm. Bad, bad day, day to, to be, be a worm. worm. A lot of hard, a lot of hard hit balls right into the ground. It was a frustrating one. It was a frustrating one too, especially because, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Stroman on the mound now, I guess, because, um, he obviously his his tenure didn't really end well here with the Mets in terms of how he left or how he felt perceived by the fan base and others. Uh, I mean, he, he pitched a good game. You got again, tip your cap. He he deserved to celebrate a little bit, but it seemed as if some people maybe took a, a little bit of extra, I don't know if offenses, but a little extra note of Marcus Stroman's uh, antics on the mound after he left the game and were not too happy about it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, also there there is a part of this where this is there's a good chance this is the most important game that Marcus Stroman pitches the entire year besides when the <laughs> Cubs come to City Field, possibly the only other thing. the the NL Central race is pretty wide open, but the Cubs probably need to get a little bit more out of most of the rest of their starting pitching. Stroman has had a good year, and he's a good pitcher. I'll Never take that away from him. The guy, the guy always is, a good is, pitcher, always been a good pitcher. And he was just he was very excited to leave the game after eight innings, and he was tweeting after the game like, "Goes all right, all right, like cool, okay. Is this if this what you wanted to do? You did it."
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's the Strowman. That's the thing he does. That's the thing he does. We know it. He's a big fan of like he he likes to talk. He likes to talk. He he walked the walk. I mean, there I, I can't yeah. I can't knock it. I can't knock it as much as I really, really, really wanted to smack him around. I was really <laughs> hoping the Mets would just tee him up. Uh did not happen. So
1: yeah. dang. I mean <laughs> Sometimes sometimes you only swing and miss twice and then you don't get anything to show for it. It just happens once in a while. Like they yeah. say it's better to be lucky than good. So no no worries there. But move on to game and three. You lose. Yeah, and you lose. Move on to game three. Had to salvage the series with a win. A sweep here would have been devastating after the five game winning streak. But luckily, we had a new minted stopper, Carlos Carrasco on the mound. I said after his last start, I was very encouraged. I tweeted it, people <laughs> jumped down my throat. I talked about it on this podcast. People said that was crazy. And he came out there, gave up the home run the first inning. Of course. Of course he gave the home run the first <laughs> inning. You have to do that. You're not gonna get you really you're not gonna get that excited that quickly, especially when the Mets get a run in the first inning. You can't get too high. You can't get too high in this world. But he really, really leaned on that split changeup, kind of like a call for the last episode and how good it looked. You 35% changeups, 33% fastballs, more changeups than fastballs. Very rare thing for Carrasco in his career, but something that could be useful. And 22% curveballs, a pitch that looked quite good and throwing to players on both sides of the plate. Changeup had five whiffs, curveball had four, and his fastball was sitting 92-93 all the way into the seventh inning. The last fastball he threw the whole game was his second fastest of the game incredible and he was really good at dying that fastball up on the outer half against lefties like sitting on that black huge star for Carrasco he really could be the innings either that this team needs moving forward the one that he was just a year ago and it was a huge step in the right direction
0: there was that really big inning what was it, the third or the fourth where he yeah. got into some trouble and me and you were texting and he he got that the big out ground got ball. out of that inning clean no runs on the ground ball and we both like we text each other like wow that was massive, and it felt like that was something that like kind of got him like over the hump a little bit. That felt like the the point of like contention of just like this is this is the game right here. If he can get past this, he's gonna be fine. He's kind of been in control outside of that first inning home run. He got past it, and like you said. I mean, he, the dude made it into the seventh inning for someone who, even myself, when I saw the first thing, I was like, ah, here we go again. Here we go again. Like the first inning home run. It's it's crazy the rate he gives them up at, but he really did calm down get his stuff down, and pretty much dominate these Cubs hitters.
1: Yeah, Jerry Blevins made a great point in the post game. And I kind of agree with it, like, thinking back to that inning and watching it, it seemed like he worked to Sayas Suzuki very carefully, and the way this Cubs yes. lineup is right now, like, he's certainly by far the most feared, he should be the most feared hitter in this lineup. He's the one who could really do some damage. We felt it most of the series, but he was very careful to him, threw him a lot of the junk. He said, if you're, I'm going to get you out, you're going to get yourself out. Sayas Suzuki is very disciplined, he's very talented, did not get himself out. And you got Mike Talkman right behind him. And Mike Talkman is incredible incredible project uh, protection. Mike Trout as we like to call him in some of these parts. But it was it was nice to see Carrasco do that. And then he got out like almost every single consecutive batter the rest of the game. Like he was just cruising. And then he did go out after a single six and two thirds, didn't get that seventh inning, but just an unbelievably
0: huge start for him for what we need going forward. Yep. Being able to give us that length, that's something we've been just begging and pleading for. And we've, I mean, this series, theoretically, the pitchers, like, didn't go, like, two innings. Like, they had been in the past. They just, they lost because the offense didn't really get enough runs in those games. The pitching could have been better in game one and game two. But game three, Carlos Carrasco was so so sharp. And then, of course, the bats came alive, which is just always so nice. So nice. It's amazing that the bat, when, when we hit. How much more fun is it to watch these games?
1: So much more fun. Credit to John for this stat. After the first inning, the Mets did get their run. We mentioned it before. Mention mentioned now 15-3 and when scoring first. 15 and 15-3 yeah. when scoring first. That's incredible. Beatty had the first two RBIs of the game. Starling had a really timely two-out, two-run single that felt like it got his breathing room and kind of let everybody relax and able to do it. And then we had the speed duo of Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo yes. with a double steal. Shout out Buck for the call there. Got the ball through. It was with a shift too because Beatty was up. And it looked like it kind of confused Jan Gomes a little bit and Patrick Wisdom, who doesn't, doesn't play a pristine third base. We have to say that. But this no. ball was this ball was thrown closer to the way the shortstop plays and the third baseman plays. Went all the way into the outfield. Jeff Score got us the fifth run. And then Pete hit a second home run of the series. Dude owns Wrigley Field. 19th of the year, 45th RBI. And it's only May 25th. This is the most home runs through the Mets' first 51 games. And the previous was set by Pete in 2019, tied with Dave Kingman in 1976. But 19 home runs through 51 games.
0: I was literally about to tell you, because I looked it up myself, I didn't realize John put it in the notes, about what was Pete's pace in the you know rookie home run year that he broke the record 51 games through, 17 home runs. He's at 19 right now. Swinging the bat really well. I know, like, the average is, the average is low, but his OPS is, like, 900. So, uh, don't care. Don't care. Keep hitting. Keep crushing it. The, the, the home run swing is there. I love it when Pete's swinging for the fences. I hate when he's swinging for singles. That's not what he's there for. And he's been just lifting and carrying the ball so well, hitting it hard. It feels... it's so good when Pete's swinging it like that. He's absolutely locked in with the power right now.
1: You also know Pete's going well when he has a game where he did not get out. He he hit the home run, he had a single, and he also walked twice.
0: That's good for the the OPS right there.
1: Really good for the OPS, because OPS matters and batting average really does not. Sorry, everybody. And then Nemo hit his big triple, Lindor had an RBS single after that, and then that's it. We just we just we took the lead. And when the Mets take a big lead like this, especially in a game that is like, especially like on the road where people are uncomfortable, we get to wacky hours with uh, especially when it's to the Keith, the Keith and uh, <laughs> the Keith and Gary booths. We talked about before the differences of like the duos, Gary and Ron, uh, Gary and Ron and Gary and Keith and the triple together. But when it's just Gary and Keith, we get to wacky hours. Keith audibly yawned in the eighth inning. <laughs> which was such a beautiful moment they were they they had to they had to get sny to bring them their jackets i think it was in the sixth gary kept talking about his SNY branded jacket them. yeah they could zipper them but gary was like sny jacket is so amazing look at this Y jacket company man always respect gary he knows he knows the drill <laughs> keith said at one point we need to get these 10 last outs so i can get out of the cold which was pretty funny tucker barnhart was pitching throwing 45 mile an hour chad like i said before and gary was like I've seen him throw harder from home plate to second. Like, what's, what's he doing right now? This is ridiculous. And then they called they call Steve Gelbs a tenderfoot because he went inside and skipped the last three innings. Tenderfoot. Like, tenderfoot is such – that's something that you'll hear, like, from an uncle at, like, a barbecue. Like, you'll never hear that, yeah. like, in, in happenstance from anyone from our generation. A tenderfoot. It's It's wacky hours. I love it.
0: One of the f- things that I really liked in this game too is that the Mets booth for the game and the Cubs booth are right next to each other and they're <laughs> separated by like, I mean, we've been upstairs at the city field one separated by like glass. You can see through, but there was like a curtain or like a, a piece of felt that was covering it and it, they took it off and like looked in and boo Shambi because I also had the Cubs one on just to see their wave night shows. Like, oh, I just saw Gary and Keith and then Keith immediately starts like taping up. He's putting it back up. He's like, I want to look at these guys. Get them out of here. <laughs>
1: No, it's funny. And, and Boog was over at City Field on Sunday, too, doing Sunday night baseball stuff. So probably probably said hi then. Just funny that they get traveled together. But overall, nice way to finish off a series that started off disappointing, kind of got the good feelings back. You got used to cold evenings and scoring a lot of runs, which is a perfect way to send you off to Denver, which is a perfect way to bring in John. Talk about the estimate from
0: this series and give us it for the next series, John. I don't, I, who even won? I don't, I don't even know. I feel like it's you. Cause I think there yeah, was some dingers four, things being hit. Yeah. 434
1: Pete on Tuesday, baby one early. All right, Pete.
2: That was a nice one. Speaking of which, um, James, you had mentioned Pete owns Wrigley field. And mm-hmm. I was just kind of like sitting, waiting, thinking. So I looked at the all time slugging percentage leaders at Wrigley field, minimum 50 plate appearances. And obviously Wrigley field goes over just about a century back no one has a higher slugging percentage in the history of the stadium than Pete Alonzo. Wow! No one. And then here's what's crazier. So Pete's number one. That's great. I was going to share that regardless. Good note. Number four on that list is John Ulruh. And number Ooh. five is Ike Davis. So three wow. so of the top five are Mets first baseman at one point or another, which is just a, a weird coincidence. But, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy.
1: That's, that's Mets first baseman that, like, that perfectly span like 30 years too. That's amazing, and that's <laughs> those, those are two of your boys, Ike Davis and John Olerud.
2: That is spot on, and honestly, like I, I really think it's time now that people. I've heard this this starting to percolate. This take, and it's not really a take. Like Pete Alonso is entering a, a situation where he is on track to be the best position player in the franchise's history,
0: hundred percent, and mm-hmm.
2: like. You know mark said that's not hyperbole about francisco alvarez what he was saying it's not hyperbole to say that about pete alonso either nope he's going to have the home run he's going to have the home run title in like what two years
0: maybe yeah Knock on yeah, wood give, give a, a knock, yeah. It. Yeah, we've
1: we've we've seen this before, so I'm not going to say anything like that. But Pete Alonso sure. plays really good baseball on a regular basis, and as
0: long as you don't say it, James, I'll <laughs> never say it. No, he's. He, he, he,
1: I like watching Pete Alonso play baseball. I'm not going to say anything definitive about it, but yeah, no, it's true fact. Yeah, that's it. All you can do.
2: Yeah, well, another good showing is 434 foot home run brings James to within one here. No, I think um, it's a tie. I, last last time was
1: within one. No, no, we'll no, no, have to no. check the tapes. Check, check the, the tape. I'm, the I'm, no, because I was down two and I've won two in a row. Check back. Yeah, right. that would make we'll it. Check back. Check the tape, John. We'll check the tapes. We have. We have. It'd be, uh, it'd have be nice laid. if you wrote this down as a person who runs it. I got. I got it all up here. I'm pretty sure you're <laughs> down there. Nice. <laughs> no, or you I here. not I was down two before the last episode. But last the last Sunday was a whirlwind. So I can know. I can understand you not remembering. You know, not registering that night.
2: Last Sunday was a whirlwind. That was fourteen hours. Anyway, that's what I mean. So yeah. the Mets going into Colorado. Um, another fun fact here for you guys: Brandon Nimmo has more home runs against the Rockies than the Atlanta Braves, and he's played about a third of the games against.
1: Not that fun of a fact, John. You don't think so? It's <laughs> not a it fun a fact. fact. <laughs> it's a fact. It's, it's not fun.
2: It's interesting to me. I mean, it's, an, not inter- add- it's an
1: interesting fact. not fun.
2: <laughs> I used the wrong it- word there. Yeah, you did.
1: Numbers, man. Yeah, not well, words,
2: man. Well, Well, it's a thing. Brandon Nimmo does have more homers against the Rockies than the Braves obviously grew up rooting for the Colorado Rockies. Um, So this is going to be a Brandon Nimmo focused estimate. Luckily, it won't be a singular event estimate because this estimate was over after four innings of (laughs) baseball. And I kind of felt stupid about that. But oh, well, Uh, I've done dumber things in my life. Um, So what we're going to go with here is Brandon Nimmo. We're going to go total hits, runs and RBI in this three game series against the Colorado Rockies.
0: Okay. Okay. Wow, okay. Let me uh, let me go Let me go grab paper and pencil. I, I forgot we do this. I got my whiteboard.
2: Wow. I would have had a whiteboard handy for you, Mark, but we're not together right now. I do wish that the Mets were playing on Monday. I was looking, you know, thinking, what am I going to do Monday? Laying out my day, pull up the MLB app, and no Mets baseball on Monday, and I can't even hate watch the Yankees on Monday because they don't play until 940. They're in Seattle. So I guess I'm going to have to be a social human being on Monday, which...
1: Yeah, God. Gotta gotta hang out with friends because of barbecue. You got any Moral plans? This. Um, got a barbecue with some friends Sunday, but just kind of staying chill. Not much not much going on. Another Hits friend in to town. RBIs. Shout out Ross, old, right? Dave Bednar's cousin, my buddy's in town. Gonna to get to see him hang out for a few days, but yeah, very good. Hits, runs, RBIs. Arc.
2: Yep. I'm gonna go Now, while you guys ponder that, something else for you to ponder: where do you rank the three barbecues? You got your Memorial Day barbecue that starts mm-hmm. the summer. You got your July Fourth, the middle of summer. Then you got your Labor Day, which to me is the worst one because it means it's the end of summer. Um, But I do like I that like, weather the most, and football is about to start. That yeah, time of I'm year, gonna, I'm a big a fourth, fourth of July question. guy.
1: Yeah, Fourth of July's got to be one, and I think probably Memorial Day is so great because like the summer's at your fingertips, but. Yeah, but Labor Day is cool because like football's at your fingertips. But I think yeah, yeah, I think it's probably Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day. I love you. Have these questions for us every episode. It's a nice little touch from the John, the John Variety Hour. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go. Got down any the questions?
2: Road, the path like last time at the end of the episode. I promise. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, that's, that's why you
0: probably forgot the record. You were thinking of that still.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. John, John was hung up by Martha still, Stewart. I Can't episode. believe
0: it. Still can't believe it. <laughs> I've got I, my I number. Breaths. Yeah. I just have All, right. All
2: right. All right. Ready. ready? Three, two, one. Bang.
1: Ten. Twelve. Ooh. Ooh I'm finally under Lev 11. 11 11 it. The, really le- the even. Yep. All right. All right. Well, I'm gonna go
2: check back last week's episode and uh we'll come back. We'll know exactly where things stand uh next next week on Sunday night. Yes. After, Sunday uh, hopefully night. a series victory in Colorado. So that'd
1: be great. We'll talk to you guys. Thanks, then. John. Thanks, John. See ya. Yeah. All
0: right. Let's definitely. go ahead and preview this Rocky series because I t- I texted you about a really really fun name that we are going to see in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me tell you let me tell you something. If you guys are old school listeners of the Mets up podcast, you will remember this name probably better than maybe any other name because we had a lot of fun with him. He used to pitch for the Philadelphia Phillies. James, who's the old friend we're seeing out in Colorado besides Brad Hand?
1: The second game of this Rocky series is going to be started by none other than Chase Anderson. Chase Anderson. Unbelievable, Chase Anderson. It's
0: literally not a real name. That's one of those that you get on MLB The Show. You have your your draft classes coming in. You just finished your first year of your franchise. And they're like, "Here's, here's the list of names. You have Nick Smith. You have Chase Anderson. You have Will Johnson. Which one are you picking? All of them are fake names. None of them are real. Chase Anderson is real in this scenario. We'll say, found out he had a little little stop in Tampa Bay. What is that all about?
1: Yeah, he's he's running a one one ERA right now, so we can't we can't mess with that. But Chase Anderson again, we're not no no can't can't defame the guy's career. He's put in more than seven years of MLB service time. That's not no that's not the joke right there. He's made millions of dollars. Good for Chase Anderson. He set up his family for generations. However, we need to annihilate him in Colorado. He need we need to hit the ball a million a million feet combined against Chase Anderson and and Connor Seabold. And, uh, and Austin Gomber. It's a, it's, a, it's a. I don't want to say anything about these pitchers for the Rockies. It's got a pitching this weekend, especially because Austin Gomber really, really shut us down in Queens. But there's, <laughs> I, I, I would like, I would like Scherzer, Seabold, and Verlander, Anderson to go a certain way. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say.
0: Yeah, we'd like for them to win. I think. I think that's a fair statement. We sure, would like, it would. We'd like it to would see be, Mets
1: win, and it would be preferable from my perspective for the Mets to win
0: at least the first two games of the series. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, very, very preferable. And I mean, if we're getting crazy, you know, I'd like to win all three. But again, baby steps
1: for sure. And like something else fun to shout out. I think Jerks and Profar is on a 32 game on base streak right now as we head to Colorado. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's he's he found it a little bit and he's hitting he's hitting the top of the 30
0: on base, though.
1: Yeah, it's the, the first the first 20 games were very poor, very, very bad. And huh. I guess something clicked. He didn't even really have a spring training, so it kind of makes sense. But. We saw this team recently so it's not that much a shout out you the only guy who i think no. is interesting who wasn't we didn't really talk about last time but he did have a good series brenton doyle he's just like a tools tool, very toolsy young outfielder who's kind of making a name for himself right now their starting pitchers right now are mostly creative players there's a guy named carl kaufman who's been getting runs through in this like that i can't Carl kaufman with a k to a double k carl kaufman um there's not huh. yeah no cj crone he's on the il still no Brendan rogers uh, Antonio Sanzatello went back on the IL. Ryan Feltner went on the IL as well. Old friends that we saw recently. Let's just,
0: I'd really, I'd prefer, I'd prefer to beat this team. Yeah, oh, big preference. Big preference to to win some games against the old Colorado Rockies in Denver. Uh, should be a lot of offense. There should be. Well, usually when you play there, there is uh, some thin air. Big outfield. Yeah. I believe it's the biggest outfield in all of baseball. My service so it area, tends, yeah, by a lot. Yes, so it tends to lead to more hits. Uh, the big misconception is about the home runs. It's, I think, still above average in home runs just because it's Colorado. But really where Colorado gets crazy is the hits, which makes it even crazier when people throw a no hitter in Colorado, which is just one of the craziest things that could ever happen. I think it's happened, what, twice? I believe Hideo
1: Nomo did that, correct? And I'm not I sure. I think so.
0: And, and Ubaldo. Did Ubaldo do it at home? Yeah, I think he did. I'm gonna I'm going to look up no hitters in coors field there's definitely been oh no it might just be hideo nomo
1: yeah i think it was nomo i remember nomo doing it for sure but yeah that is definitely the common misconception about Uh, Playing in Colorado, like we also should note that they do have the second highest park factor for home runs, only behind Cincinnati Reds. But the other big misconception, just to end, let you guys out of here in like a nerdy, nerdy pitching rant, is that the thin air makes the ball travel further. That is true to a degree, but that's nowhere near as important to like how much hitters hit there, based on the fact that the air density drastically changes the way pitches move. Fastball carry and hop, curveball depth, slider movement, like everything is significantly affected by. By the path in the air. Is. I heard an interview from Marco Gonzalez from years ago. I've talked about this a few times on the podcast where he grew up in in Colorado outside of Denver. And when he grew up, he didn't even learn a breaking ball because he knew that would just be like kind of a waste of time. So the rest of his career is a, the, the rest of his development as a player. And he just like perfected two different changeups, a circle and a Vulcan, to be like, I want these two different pitches because the air density won't affect their movement as
0: much, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, we've always joked about how, like, man, once Herman Marquez leaves that that team, boy, oh, boy, is he going to make a run at an award or something? He's going to be great. But yeah, it's just it's really hard to pitch there for a variety of different reasons. Um, And the Rockies, you know, they also they they don't really invest in pitching too much, it seems like. So for sure, hopefully the Mets bats stay hot like they did against the Cubs. We'd like to see them continue to swing swing like that, I think.
1: Yes, keep playing like that. But it's also funny that everyone always says that about Rockies pitchers and a guy like John Gray leaves and he's still basically doing almost the same thing, game in and game out. And then a lot of people always say you got to watch out for the Rockies hitters that leave. And almost every single guy who's left has been as good basically everywhere else except for Trevor Story, who I don't know what's happening to that guy. Hopefully he gets that back. But yeah, go to Colorado, win a couple games. Let's, let's have a good Memorial Day, everybody.
0: Also, breaking news: we have clarification on the estimate. James, you were right; it is a tie I know ball I was game. Right,
1: I know I was right. John, I mean, John is very excited to go to Denver, and I understand that He's, he really loves, really loves all Denver offers. So it makes sense that he would be forgetful of that fact. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
0: so, I, I don't think there's really anything else to really talk about here, right? I, th- I think we're pretty much wrapping it up. I do. We do have a new review on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Josh Doying. Actually, I, he reached out to me on Twitter the other day. He actually is doing something really cool where he is making like a like kids like bedtime stories about baseball players. And he does a lot about the Mets. He's a big Mets fan. So if you guys want to check out Josh's stuff, I believe it's like bedtime New York Mets stories or bedtime stories. Mets, you can go find him there. But he said, James and Mark balance sports talk with deeper analysis. And on top of all that, keep things fun. They may even be responsible for how the team is doing based on who's doing the intro no pressure sorry Josh Josh we let you down I'm back I especially love the interviews whether getting those thoughtful responses from players or bringing on media and other personalities they provide unique insight that helps support my fandom appreciate it Josh thank you we've also we've
1: also a few more that we didn't mention just because the team wasn't playing that well and it felt weird to like sing our own praises when the Mets were struggling but this is one by Brad SD Mets fan just discovered you guys love it all interviewing has been great love the details of the pitchers breakdowns great job gents but also I don't want us to get too high. We did have a really negative interview come in, and I want to read it because I love the negative interviews. They're Listen, incredible.
0: Keep Keep me grounded, man. Keep me grounded. My head was getting a little big there.
1: This is a good one. <laughs> and this really takes shots at everyone here individually. So, Vito, hope you're listening. Big <laughs> City 157 said, Poorly produced. The hosts talk 1,000 miles an hour. There are 100 Mets podcasts out there, and this one ain't the one.
0: Big city's his name. He can't be from New York. Otherwise, you would understand exactly what our, our, our miles per hour are with how we're talking. Yeah, we do talk fast, but that's where we're from. I know, James, you've made a conscious effort to try and slow down.
1: Yeah, I'm really trying to. It's hard for me because I talk so fast my whole life. It's always been this way. Teachers have told me, friends have told me. Just, I don't think it's ever going to stop. Also, I was just i kind of I got funny like scrolling through these reviews the other day because I wanted to like find more negative ones because I love them. This is a great one from last year when we first started. I want to leave this oh, out than this. Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> it's great, perfect. You scoundrels ended my favorite Mets podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I like being, being called, called a scoundrel. scoundrel. That's yeah, not. That's not good usually. Word.
0: One thing that I'm being called, I've never been called a scoundrel before. So uh, shout out to that guy. I think I have a guess who that might be based on the word scoundrel being used.
1: It was was D. Garrick. So shout you out, D. Garrick.
0: All right. Well, that's a good place for us to wrap it up here on the Mets Up podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. Remember to follow us on all our social media at Mets Up, M-E-T-S-D-U-P on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Shout out Vito, making some great Instagram reels for us where we've been posting over there. Shout out to Francisco Alvarez. Liking one of our reels about him. Yes. Shout out to Francisco. That's how, that's how you know he's paying attention, listening to the best podcast in the world right here. Uh, follow us. Nope, I said that. If you're looking for the YouTube video, go to the Mets YouTube channel. Subscribe over there. You'll be able to watch the video version of us. And if you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, rating, review, download, subscribe, and you might get a shout out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And follow me at Giraffe Mark with a C. We'll catch you after the Rocky series. Let's let's go win one. Let's win one. Bye.
1: Peace out. See you next time.